I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be real honest with you. I had a late, late night or an early morning, depending on how you look at it. We had a fire last night over in Bossier, so we got out there about 4 o'clock and just got uh, to the uh, church house here about 7 and have been going all morning long. So I'm going to need some extra energy this morning out of you, so I need a little more help. Come on, y'all. Come on. Give me a little more love. Thank God for all those first responders out there making it happen. Listen, I am so thankful for all of you that watch online that you're in this room. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun today, but we are going to answer some questions that maybe you've been having for a long time, and we're hopefully going to challenge you a little bit, give you some peace, at the same time challenge you to be all that Christ created you to be because, man, we're going to need you. I promise you this world's going to need you. But this is the last message for the signs series. Have you had fun with signs? Come on, make me feel good. Let me know. All right. Yeah, appreciate you. Thank you. Here's the goal. We want to start off every week with the videos or the pictures that you've sent of different signs that are found all around. And these are my favorites from all the emails. So thank you for sending your emails. Had a lot of fun with that. But these are some signs. And this is what I like to start. It's called, I saw the sign. Look at this right here. This is a good one. Children are often spoiled because no one will spank grandma. There it is. That's exactly what's going to. If you ran, your, if you ran like your mouth, you'd be in good shape. That's for me. All right. Respect your parents, they pass school without Google. There you go, old people, come on. That's a good one. Husbands choosing tiles must have a note from your wife. There you go. All the women said amen. Why well, work for a clown when you work for a king? That's a pretty good one right there. Don't be ashamed of who you are, that's your parents' job. Come on, that's pretty good. And I'd like to apologize to anyone I have not yet offended. Please be patient, I'll get to you shortly. Come on, y'all, how good is that? Come on, give me a little love. Thanks for sending them in. Had a lot of fun with it, and this is the message you've probably been waiting for. Because in our current culture, with everything that's going on, uh, this is really the question everybody has. This always, when you talk about this, it gets lots of interest. But it is signs of the end of the world. That's why the band's playing Living on the Edge. That's why we're having a little fun with Stranger Things, because it's a strange time to be in this world. And a lot of people wonder, is this the end and how close are we to Jesus' return? All of these things are going on. And that's what we're going to cover today. It's the signs that you and I need to be looking for and how we can know and what we should be doing. I can tell you that when I was growing up, this was a big topic. I was a kid of the 70s. I was a teen of the 80s. And as you were growing up and we were in the church, we were in the Baptist church majority of that time, it was a scary topic, though. They were always kind of like there was this real heavy fear attached with this. They even had movies that went along with that. There was one called A Thief in the Night. Many people saw this. Man, you're talking about scary, spooky. You know, it was all designed to prepare you to come to Christ, have a relationship with him, but it was on the scary side. So we've got to be freaked out by that. My mom worked at Christian Life Tapes and Books over in Shreveport, and then they even came out with comic books on the end of times. This is no exaggeration. This is my comic book. I have one of those still from when I was a kid because it was always about the four horsemen and the end times and what was going on. And all of that created a little anxiety, a little fear, because you're like, man, what if it's today and what's going to happen? And then they started telling us that in the scriptures that talked about the rapture, that you would just be, boom, you could come home, there could be clothes on the ground. You'd be like, mama's gone, daddy's gone. That doesn't necessarily always put, you know, oh, that sounds good. You were kind of nervous about it. You were worried about it. 
And if you grew up in the church, you get it. Because this next part, this is really where it went next level in the 90s. 70s were one thing, 80s were one thing. But in the 90s, there was a book that came out uh, by Tim LaHaye. It was called Left Behind. Maybe you remember this. And it was extremely popular. Everybody talked about it. They kind of went down the road. It was a novel. It had obviously based on some scripture, but it also was, you know, fictionalized. They had different stories that kind of went in there. And it was big success and sold a ton of copies. So much so that they came out with a series. And this series, this is what it looked like. It began to just go on and on and on because you know how it is. You start making some money and everybody's like, well, let's tell more stories. And the whole idea was originally a great idea. It was like, hey, we're just going to kind of tell you what could happen or what it looks like based on Scripture. And then, of course, if you're wondering, did it go into a movie? Yes, Nicolas Cage was actually in the movie. It was called Left Behind. Not a great movie. I wouldn't say you want to go watch it because it's pretty bad acting and pretty bad storyline just the way they pulled it off. But the books were extremely popular. And one of the reasons why is whether you come from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and maybe further back than that, but those are the generations that I kind of was a part of that I could hear and understand what was going on. This has been a topic for that whole time. And if you didn't grow up in church, you may be asking, why are you so fascinated or why does the church spend so much time on this or why is this such the big talk? Well, I'm not an expert, so do not hold me as saying, oh, he thinks he's got it all figured out and he knows because I don't. But I would like to point out a few things that I have learned and I think would help you. And the reason I say that is we're going to go straight to Scripture and we're going to go to the interaction between Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they all record this interaction when they ask Jesus the question that many of us ask even today. It's found in Matthew 24, 3. And it says, later as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him in private and they asked him. What did they ask him? When is this going to happen? What will be the sign... Now you see why we put it in this series. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? So we would kind of put it another way. It's like, are we living on the edge? I mean, is this really it? I mean, is this the idea that at any moment it could happen? Or do we have time? Or there's all of these things. Well, the disciples are asking the very same thing. And the truth is, if you have any curiosity at all, we all want to know. But let me make sure one thing is very clear. No one knows. <laughs> So if you ever hear any preacher or anybody get up and say, man, let me tell you, it's going to happen on this date or it's going to happen on this time, it's just not true. And how we know this is based on this passage of Scripture, Matthew 24, 36, when Jesus himself said, no one knows when that day or time will come. Not even Jesus or the angels know. Only God the Father knows when he is going to ask Jesus to come back to get his followers. But here is the key, and Jesus helps us with this. The main thing when you start trying to figure all this stuff out is he doesn't want us to be fooled. Because in our current society and the way the world works, we have information everywhere. And he's like, man, I do not want you to be fooled by somebody or something going on. This is Jesus directly, Matthew 24, 5. When you look and he says, Jesus answered, be careful, don't let anyone fool you. Because many people are going to come and they're going to use my name. And they're going to say things. They're going to say, I'm the Messiah. And they will try to fool many people. Remember David Koresh? I could go through a bunch of different others. Somebody told me about somebody else recently. This guy got up and said he was Jesus. And I'm like going, how's all this happen? But for generations, there's been these false prophets or people get up and talk about all this kind of stuff. But what I want you to know is, is I don't want you to be fooled, but I also don't want you to be a fool. And you go, well, what do you mean you don't want me to be a fool? Well, Jesus tells us when it gets to the end 
And we're going to see this directly in this interaction with the disciples. You have to pay attention. And I don't want you to be foolish, and I don't want you to be fooled. Matthew 24, 6 says it like this. How do we know? What are the signs? He gets very clear. You will hear about wars that are being fought, and you'll hear stories about other wars beginning. Now, it doesn't take a real smart guy to figure out that they've been talking about wars for a long time. But the reason I tell you I don't want you to be fooled is I don't want you to be lulled into, well, they've been talking about it so long. I mean, I, go back to World War II. They thought it was the end of time, and then it was Vietnam, and you could go through all these different wars. But I think what Jesus was trying to say is in every generation, when you see wars and you hear of rumors of wars, you should wake up and pay attention. It should make you go, wait a second, am I ready, and is this the end? Are we getting closer to his return? For example, when you turn on the news and you see all of these images and you hear of nuclear war possibility, you hear of Putin has lost his mind, and you hear that they're invading Ukraine, you shouldn't just turn it off and go, ah, it don't matter, it's not really that big a deal. No, it could be a sign of the return of Christ. It is the beginnings of this little something in your heart to go, I need to pay attention to this. And it's not just one thing. I mean, it goes on and on and on when you continue to watch or you turn the channel and you see Russia backs China as tensions rise over Taiwan. Big rumors of China going to invade Taiwan and what is this going to look like? They're watching to see how Russia did it in the Ukraine and maybe they're going to be a part of it. You go, man, I ain't paying attention to all that. You should. We might should. Or you hear the other news, you turn the channel and you look over there and you go, wait a second, North Korea just fired a missile over Japan. Like what's going on with that? All of these little signs, all of these little wars are these big wars, are these conflicts. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, was telling you that every time you see it and every time you hear it, he said, pay attention. And just for the record, did a little more research and found this image because this is every war right now being fought in the world, some kind of conflict. As you can tell, quite a bit. And why is this important? It's because he is telling you, when you start seeing all these things going on, pay attention. Pay attention. Don't ignore it. Don't act like it doesn't matter. I might just be in those moments trying to get your attention so that you would know and realize. And for some of you, you go, well, maybe this is the time. Maybe we are closer to his return. Now, for some of us, it's a little bit scary. And you start thinking, World War III, I don't know about all this. How am I going to get through all this? Well, let's go back and look. There's more signs. It's not just war. It's nations fighting against nations, kingdoms fighting against other kingdoms. But then it continues. There's also no food for people to eat. Because some of you go, well, they've been fighting for this for a long time. But I mean, man, we got food. We ain't got to worry about all this. Then it comes in. There's even one more little verse. Here it is. There'll be earthquakes. Not only just food for people to eat. The next slide says there's going to be earthquakes in all kinds of different places. Well, I do these messages sometimes two to three weeks out of a time. So as I was working through all this and getting all the notes going, ironically, I'm getting ready to go into this week because now it's this week. And guess what happens this week? Anybody watch the news? Yeah, one person hollered out, yeah, there's an earthquake in San Jose. 5.1, everybody's like, oh, but come on, Justin, it's just one earthquake. Well, the last time I did a series like this, we did a series called Living on the Edge in the 20, uh, 2020. You can go back and watch it on YouTube, but I had three or four weeks that we did. 
and used some of these same things, but this was crazy. When I did that series in 2020, I was personally in two earthquakes, one in Burbank, California, and one down in Guatemala while we were on a mission trip. And I was thinking, man, this is kind of crazy. But then this is the part that really got my attention when it came to earthquakes, is this map right here shows you all the earthquakes over the past 15 years. I'd say there's quite a few. If you look just at 2022, you're like, yeah, but that's over the last 15 years. There's 111 alone in this year. 111 significant events when it comes to earthquakes. Now, why do I say that? Well, because so many of us, we're so overwhelmed with information, we don't pay attention to it. We don't worry about it. We're just like, oh, whatever. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. He's like, no, don't be fooled. Don't be foolish. Pay attention. Wake up. These are signs. These are opportunities for you to go, wait a second. Possibly? Could it be? And then if you turn on the news and you hear more stories about the fact that something we never thought really would happen is beginning to happen, especially in America, it should get our attention. Well, draw your attention to this video. I would have never believed that I would have seen this in my generation from the 70s to the 80s, now 90s, going through into the new millennium as we continue to move on. But when this began to happen, I promise you it got my attention. Here is the news story that you might remember when it came to the other issues, not just earthquakes, but the lack of food right here in America. Watch. It's an extraordinary time in American history, and this is just the latest example. A sea of cars jammed into a parking lot in San Antonio. More than 10,000 families waiting their turn at a local food bank. The groceries are supposed to last through the month. Similar scenes are taking place in cities across the country. In Pittsburgh, the line of motorists stretches more than a mile. At this food bank in Englewood, California, the line of cars is nonstop. Luz Nunez, a mother of four, lost her job as a hotel housekeeper last month. Yeah, it means a lot. It means that I have something on the table for my kids. For most of these people, it's the first time they've ever had to rely on donated food. Thank you. Be safe. A stark reminder of how far the economy has fallen in just a few weeks. Maybe you remember. When all that started happening, we were helping the food bank here locally. We were going, and you heard what they said in the report is many people thought they'd never be them. But thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Americans are going, ooh. You probably watched the news. You probably saw even right now, this week, potentially 25 days left of diesel fuel in America causes a little problem because guess what? They can't deliver the food. They can't fill the trucks up. They can't run the trains. So all of a sudden, everybody starts going, wait a second, is this really happening? Oh, this is just political. It doesn't really matter. Here's what I'm telling you. Jesus said, when you begin to see these things happening, you better pay attention. You go, yeah, but Justin, come on. While I pull one more video for you just to kind of prove my point, because I'm not an expert, as I told you, but I'm not stupid, and I don't want to be a fool. And all you have to do is begin to open your eyes a little bit and go, okay, here are these wars, here are these conflicts, all this is going on. We got earthquakes going on, but a bunch of them. You got all this food crisis. And most of the time, we don't pay attention to it. We just don't really want to listen to it. We got other things we want to do. We got to watch football. We got to go out to eat. We got to hang out. And then he's like, that's why he's saying, hey, man, pay attention. And what do you mean, pay attention to what? How about the world food crisis and how it affects us and how we are connected to that? I'll tell you more about it after you watch this video. Watch. What's the one thing that we all have in common? It's food. We need it, we enjoy it, and it brings us together. But right now, 
Accessing affordable and nutritious food is becoming more and more difficult around the world. We've found ourselves living in a global food crisis. Millions upon millions of people, in fact, 345 million people today are suffering from hunger at a crisis level. The pandemic's economic consequences play a huge part in hunger rising to unprecedented levels. At the same time, climate shocks continue to destroy lives, crops and livelihoods and undermine people's ability to feed themselves. Meanwhile, conflict keeps waging war on everyday life. As the biggest driver of hunger, currently 60% of the world's hungry live in areas afflicted by violence. In Ukraine, the war has transformed what was the breadbasket of the world into a major humanitarian aid recipient. Before the war began, Ukraine produced enough food to feed 400 million people per year. But when the war started, Ukraine's food exports all but stopped, trapping corn and wheat inside the country. Look at the United States, 8.5% inflation hasn't happened in decades. Look at UK, 10.1%. So if our advanced economies are suffering as they are, what to talk of poor net food and fuel importing countries. What we don't want for sure is that today's affordability crisis turns into or becomes tomorrow's availability crisis. What I mean by that is that today, if you have money, you can buy food. But if you don't sort out a few things right now, tomorrow, even if you have money, it won't be enough to buy food. What are those things to sort out? We need to make sure that the next agricultural season is a good one. That requires agricultural inputs, especially fertilizer. And if that doesn't happen, our affordability crisis, which is bad enough as we can see around the world, turns into an availability crisis, meaning that food will be even less affordable for millions upon millions of people around the world. Now why don't I bring your attention to that? Well, James, who runs my computer back in the back, he's in my life group. He is uh, in the agricultural business in this state. So when I told him when I was talking on, we had life group Wednesday night, and he was like, man, I'm going to tell you something. He said, I'm going to tell you what our problem is right now. I was like, what's that, James? He said, we don't have any fertilizer. So this, this is the world food group saying, oh, well, if we got fertilizer, we're going to be able to kind of get ahead of it. And James goes, I only got one problem with that video. I'm in the business. Well, there's no access. We're, we're, we're struggling to get fertilizer. And I'm thinking, interesting, isn't it? So you go, oh, just play it off. It don't matter, man. Just whatever. We're going to be all right. No, the truth is, is I don't want you to be scared. And somebody's going, thanks, Justin. I'm scared to death. Well, I got good news for you. Jesus addressed our fear and addressed everything that you've heard up to this point. And when he said this, don't be afraid. These things must happen before the end comes. Now, the reason this is so important is everybody I know that's in the Christian world, including on the books, and when I was growing up in the 70s, 80s, and the 60s, it was all fear-based. It was literally to scare the hell out of you. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, my gosh, we got to just scare you. We got to scare you. We got to scare you. And it was the hopes that we would not go to hell, which I'm 100% far. I don't want anybody going to hell. But what I also want is for you not to live in fear and withdraw and begin to hoard everything for yourself and begin to think, oh my gosh, the only way we're going to make it is we just got to do these things and I can't believe it. And maybe if we pray hard enough, it won't happen. And he's like, no, 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 it's got to happen. 
You're not going to get out of it. It's going to go there. So when you go, well, but if we get this group in or if that person wins the war or this person wins the election, we're going to be better. He's like, no, no, no. These things must happen. Whether we like it or not, it's going to happen. So you go, well, Justin, what are you really, really trying to say? Well, here's what I'm working on, and I hope that you'll work on it as well, is I don't want you to be afraid. I want you to be ready. The most important decision you'll ever make in your life is when you say, all right, Jesus, I know you're coming back, and I know that that may happen in my generation or maybe in next, but I don't care about that. I want you in my life because I want to be prepared for that. And that's as simple as that prayer I pray at the end of every service. I'll pray at the end of this one. Lord, come into my life. Change me. I need a fresh start. I believe you died on the cross. You rose again. Your, your blood covers my sin. And I receive you. I want you in my life. But here's the thing. So many people have prayed that prayer or they believe that. But then they walk out of here and they hoard everything from themselves. And they start getting angry and getting defensive. And they build bunkers. And I don't know what we're going to do. It's every man for himself. And we just got to take care of ourselves. You're not going to find that in there. You're certainly not going to find Jesus say that. So if it is going to be the end, and if we are going to be ready, what does being ready mean? Well, first it means you've got to stay awake. You've got to be alert. You have no idea when the master is going to show up, but you have to stay awake. This is why it's important that you're here today. It's why it's important that you're watching online. It's because you can just go, I don't matter. Who knows? No, if it is today, if it is tomorrow, if it is next month, next year, or 10 years from now, you want to be ready. Back when I was growing up again in the 60s, there was a guy by the name of Larry Norman who wrote this song called I Wish We'd All Been Ready. It was redone in the 90s by a group called DC Talk that we all kind of loved and grew up with. And I want to play it for you. And the reason I want to play it for you is because the goal really is, is not to just wish that we had been ready, but today is an opportunity to be ready. As you listen to the lyrics of the song, this is what spoke to us then, and maybe it'll speak to you today. Watch. Life was filled with guns and war And all of us got trampled on the floor I wish we'd all been ready The children died, the days grew cold A piece of bread could buy a bag of gold I wish we'd all change your mind the sun has come and you've been left behind a man and wife asleep in bed she hears a noise and turns her head he's gone I wish we'd all been ready two men walking up a hill, one disappears, and one's left standing still. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come, and you've been left behind. This is why I love the song, is because it is a reminder, even for us today you got a chance. We're not left behind you. You know, the writers of the New Testament, they had continued the theme. They had talked about that this was going to happen. When you go to 2 Peter, you will see, hey, the Lord's going to happen. That He's going to come like a thief. This is why I wish we'd been ready because the song says, like, man, I didn't know. And all of a sudden, boom, it happens. No, this is why a message like this is so important is because, yes, the Scripture is true. 
But look at what it says, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. It's reminding you that, yeah, one day he's going to come, and it will be a surprise. Jesus doesn't even know what's going to happen. The angels don't know. God's going to say, this is the moment. And like a thief in the night, he comes and he says, and what we did on this earth and what we did with our time, with our resources, it will matter more than you will ever know. I wish, we'd been, I wish we'd been ready. Well, you can be ready. We are in the process of getting ready. Revelation, this is John writing again, Revelation 3.3. 3. He says, so don't forget what you've received and heard. Obey it. Change your hearts and lives. You must be awake. Don't fall asleep. Oh, man, it don't matter. It's not going to happen. No, don't fall asleep. Wake up, because one day I'm going to surprise you like a thief. Now, I don't know about you, but when I see the word thief, it, it was always scary to me. The only thief that wasn't scary was this guy right here. Y'all remember that hamburger? I mean, he was stealing hamburger. He'd run around. That was McDonald's back in the day. That's the only one that wasn't there. Every other thief was scary, but listen to the thing. Jesus still comes to you and goes, hey, I know you're scared. You think it's scary times, but listen to what Jesus says. You ready? This is going to blow you away. Matthew 24, when he says, no, what joy and blessing. It's the opposite of fear. I don't want you to live in fear. I want you to be happy. I want you to be blessed because when I come back, I will find the faithful servant. And when he comes home, I will find him serving with excellence. So here's the whole deal for you. This is simple church wrapped up in a nutshell. This is Jesus telling you this is what it's all about. I don't want you sitting when you could be serving. I don't want you just sitting back and thinking, well, one day it's going to be all right, and I guess it'll all work out in the wash. He's like, no. If the Lord comes back and you don't know when he's coming back, do what you're supposed to do. To put it in a modern way, one of the greatest coaches of all time in our modern generation says it like this, if everyone does what they're supposed to do, we win. And so the message to his players is do your job. And this is the thing, the church should listen, the Christians should listen because Jesus is going, hey, listen, good coach, man, this is your master, this is the top of the top, this is your Lord and Savior, and I am telling you, while it is still daytime, this is what Jesus said, we got to continue to do the work of the one who sent me. This is even what Jesus did with his own life, he's speaking about himself. The night is coming and no one can work at night, but while I am in this world, I'm the light of the world. And he didn't just stay there. He was just saying, hey, listen, it gets dark. So when food starts running out and when wars are happening, you don't run and hide. You start going, the darker it gets, the more we should shine. You are like the light of the whole world. And no one would put that light or that lamp under a clay pot. Make your light shine so that others will see the good that you do and they will praise your Father in heaven. I don't know if you know this or not. And I don't know if you figured it out in Simple Church, but I'm going to go ahead and hit you with it one more time. Light makes the biggest impact when it is the darkest. This is why I get frustrated with churches. This is why people ask me, why are you chaplain? I mean, you went out at 3.30 this morning, went all the way down there. I'm going to tell you why. It's because when we went to that apartment fire at 4 this morning, some of the firefighters were mouthing off because I take off and I give them little Debbies and everything. You know, I've, I've been delivering them to all the fire stations and everything and one of the guys is out there, and he was like, where's Nutty Buddy now? It's 4 in the morning. I wish Nutty Buddy was out here now. And here I come around the corner of the gator. I said, here I am. He's like, oh, and one of my buddies there, one of the captains, one of the chiefs, he looks at me, and he said, boy, you got him on that one. I was like, look, dude, it ain't about getting him because I, I get his point. That's what the reputation of Christians really is. They don't show up when it counts. 
One of, the, one of the jokes going on when it was the chaplain time is like, oh, it's, it, he's a chaplain as long as it's nine to five. So what is my goal? It's to represent him, to represent you, to go, no, it doesn't matter what it is. We got to do what we got to do because if they're willing to lay down their lives in the darkest of situations, in the darkest of times, the light needs to come to the darkness. So when I go to this apartment fire this morning, it's four in the morning, it's pouring down rain, and everybody's in bed, and trust me, I'd like to have been too, and so would have every firefighter, but guess what? When the bell rang, they got up and they come in there. And when the grease fire on their stove began to burn down the apartment complex and all the people are calling out, did they say, let's sleep in? Ah, it don't matter today. I don't, I don't, we'll be all right. No, they get up and they run to the darkest of the most difficult time. Why? Because that's what their job is. Guess what, Christian? When it was dark this morning and cold and raining and we were able to give them blankets and those families looked at me and said, man, thank you for these. When was one guy, as he's walking around trying to get his medicine out of his apartment, because remember now, you don't know it's coming. You're talking about a thief in the night. Boom, it hit him. And all of a sudden, they're going, everything's messed up. It wasn't even their fault. It's somebody else's fault. You're, you're out of your apartment. You're standing in the rain. You got your dog. One guy had his dog out there, and he's just, I said, man, let me hold your dog for you. You would do that? I'm like, yeah. And he goes in and gets his medicine. He comes out crying. Thank you for taking care of my animal. I'm like, dude, it ain't that tough. But let me tell you this. I know what some of you think. Well, Justin, that's your call. You've got a call and that's your... No, let me tell you something. That is all of our calling. You don't have to put on a uniform. You don't have to wear a badge. As a Christian, you are in his army. You are in his service group. Do your job. And why does it matter? Because when it gets dark, when it is difficult, when it is challenging, light makes the biggest difference when it's the toughest times. So you can't be starting to complain and get political and pointing fingers and, well, this would change or I'll tell you what we should do. No, you don't have that right. As a believer, you go, you know what? I'm serving him. And my job is to be light in the darkness. My job is to bring encouragement and joy into the most difficult and challenging. I don't care if that's at work, at school, in your home, your neighborhood, in friendships and relationships. And it makes a difference. This is why he said it. Listen, if you go start looking through Scripture and you start looking at the end times, it does never say run away from the problems. It doesn't say go hide. If it said that, I'd be telling you, get your stuff together and dig a big hole in your backyard and go get all of your Swiss cake rolls and stuff them down in that hole because it's coming. They don't say that. He's like, man, I don't know when it's going to happen, but be looking for these signs. But when it happens, make sure you're working. Make sure you're serving. Make sure you're light in the darkness. And you go, well, why would it matter? Do you need proof of why it matters? Do you need proof of going, like, explain to me when it's really dark or a very dark, what, what difference does it make? I'm going to give you a video to prove to you that Scripture is telling you the truth. I couldn't think of a darker situation than this video that I'm about to show, but I'm going to show it. But I want you to listen. I want you to pay attention. And I want you to understand why actions matter. And what we do when it gets dark. And that all people can be a light. Not just those with a badge. Not just those that have passion for their name or in a church. All of us do our jobs. And it really can light up a dark situation. Watch. Amazing grace. After a Richmond, Indiana police officer was shot in the line of duty days before her wedding, the whole community grieved. 
deeply. 28-year-old officer Sierra Burton was beloved. So the idea that anything good could ever come from her passing was unimaginable until one day a stranger walked into the department. He held in his hand a white envelope and inside a sliver of hope. To information clerk Charlotte Jones, the man appeared to be homeless. And I told him, I said, this is like the most amazing gift that we have gotten. Inside the envelope, eight crumpled up $1 bills and a note that read, people from the street. He accepted a hug, but insisted on no other recognition. The man didn't give his name, but he said Officer Burton was kind and would often check in on the homeless. So he took up a collection and got donations from people on the street, people with virtually nothing to give. They gave that knowing they don't know if they're going to have another dollar tomorrow. Richmond Police Lieutenant Donnie Benedict. That is as genuine as you're going to get. I mean, that $8 was like $8 million. We'll never know exactly who all gave or why. Those answers are hiding beneath the brush and underpasses of Richmond. But by all accounts, Sierra Burton was generous and fair, with a face that always defaulted to a smile. Does it surprise you at all that Absolutely people not. on the street? Not at all. Not with her, no. Officer Amy Miller was Sierra's stepmom. What do you hope comes from all this? People don't forget who she was. And this is part of who she was. In Sierra's honor, donations for the homeless are already pouring in. But for the department, the greatest gift will always be that simple white envelope. There's hope out there. There are people out there who, who will give everything. Both those in the line of duty and those they serve. Steve Hartman, On the Road, in Richmond, Indiana. Hope. People who are willing to give anything. People are full of kindness. This is why I tell you, when a group of homeless people can bring officers to tears, and why? Because in the middle of their dark times, an officer would come in and love on them and check on them out of kindness. And then in the darkest of situations, when she's tragically killed, it breaks them, moves them to the place of going, I don't have much, but I want to give you what I can. Think about if that was our reputation as a church. If as Christians, that was what we were known for. Not bad movies. Not political divide. Not arguing, fighting, pointing the finger. Not what we ban, not what we protest. Not albums that we sing or sermons that we preach. But what if it was that we were known for being like Jesus? Full of kindness, full of love that we were light in the darkness, that we didn't run away from it when it gets scary or dark or difficult. We don't go, oh my gosh, we can't go there, whether that's Juarez. Oh, that's the dang, most dangerous city in the world. We'll be going in February again if you want to go. Africa, oh, I could never fly halfway around the world. Oh my gosh, I mean, I've heard. We'll be going again. Honduras, oh my God, I heard Honduras. Oh my God, I heard everybody dying down there and people don't have any water. Yep, and we'll be going again. Oh, my, did you say Cedar Grove? Oh, my God, we can't go over there. We'll be going. And that's why when I asked you to help 
Many of you gave so that we could give to people that are hungry right here in our neighborhood. Paul Reeser got third place in this hunger challenge, the whole idea of the food fight. They raised $83,000 for people in our community to have food. Pretty awesome. You get to be a part of that. Next week, whenever we start talking about sponsoring kids and dream, helping kids dream again, it's going to be an opportunity for you to go, man, am I going to be a part of it or am I not? Because starting next week, the entire month of November, we're moving out of signs and we're going to go into what's called Thanksgiving. And it's not going to be like your traditional church giving. We're not building a building. We're not changing our carpet. We're not trying to upgrade our facilities. What we're going to try to do is, is challenge you and give you an opportunity that if he comes back tomorrow, you'd be doing what he asked you to do. You would be giving out of gratitude. And I'm not just talking about money. I am talking about your time. We're going to be talking about having food packaged for people around the world. 80,000 plus meals. We're going to need you to give some money. We're going to need you to give your time to make it happen. We got water. When we talk about people that have no water to drink, that you'll get to be a, be a part of helping people have a glass of water to feed their family, to cook their food. We're talking about kids that are in need all around this world and this community. You'll have an opportunity and much more. Do you also know that we pay for counseling as the Simple Church first, first responder? I had an officer call me not too long ago and said, man, this is it. I think I'm ready to take my life. This might be it. You know the great news about where you go to church and what we put our money towards? You paid for and helped this man get counseling. He called me back later and said, dude, it changed my life. You saved my life. You got to be a part of that. Why? Because you gave. I had another person, won't go on the details, called me. 30 years of service. I'm done. I'm out. I'm not going to keep doing this. If you'll just do what I'm asking you to do is we're going to pay for your counsel. It's going to be a part of it. Nobody will ever know. It doesn't even have to go through EAP, which is Employee Assistant Program. We're going to do it privately. It's just so you can do Talk to the person recently. Changed my life, Justin. Thank you for not giving up on Thanks for being there in the darkest moment of my life when I thought it was going to be over. When you're going through the darkest moment in your divorce, guess what? We don't have all the answers, but take us up on the counseling. Take us up on letting us help you because we don't have it all figured out. But let me tell you something. When the pandemic hit and everybody's politically making it everything that it's not supposed to be about you went and fed the nurses you put the money together to say we believe in you and the doctors and community why because in the darkest times does it matter what you believe politically or i just think it's all bull we shouldn't be doing us or does it matter that we should do our job and be like christ and to be the light in the darkness and you choose to go man how can i help how can i give how can i be a part of it i'm gonna tell you that's who we are that's who we claim to be and that is who we want to be why because when he cracks open the sky if that's today tomorrow 10 years from now i want to be doing what he called me to do and i don't want to be forcing you and coercing well you need i'm just hey it's an opportunity when i read second corinthians that's what it says everyone must make up his own mind as how much he should give that's your time your money hey you got to make that up why don't force anybody to give one thing i hate about church the reason we never pass a chicken bucket an offering plate or anything like that because it was always weird to me you make up your mind. If you want to give, you give. If you want to help, you help. But here's the deal. When you do, God says, I'm looking for the one that likes doing it, that's cheerful when he does it. He continues in that whole thought when he goes back. God's able to make it up to you by giving you everything you need and more so that you will not only have enough for your needs, but you'll have plenty left over to give joyfully to others, whether that's your time, whether that's your money, whether that's in this community or around the world. If we are in the last days, I can tell you this, the choice is going to be ours on how we live. You go, what do you mean, Joshua? Well, I'll tell you what I mean. 
2 Timothy says it like this. In the last days, you can be certain there's going to be some hard times. You think you've seen it, you ain't seen nothing yet. What if we run out of food? What if there's a world war? What if it turns really, really bad? What if it doesn't go well? Here's what he's telling you. People are going to start loving themselves and their money. They're going to be proud. They're going to be stuck up. They're going to be rude. Does it sound familiar to anything going on today? They'll be ungrateful. They're going to be heartless. They're going to be hateful. Did any of this ring a bell? You wonder if you're in the last time? Just look at that list. And here's the challenge. As, as Christians, as a church, we should be the direct opposite of everything you just read. We should be the most grateful people, the most people full of love, the ones that are never going to be hateful. We should have a heart for those that are hurting, those that are stuck out in the cold, or rather those that are hungry. You shouldn't be proud. Well, I'm going to just tell you, I know what about it. No, you should be the opposite. You should be humble. How can I humbly come in and serve? You shouldn't be stuck up or rude. You go to a restaurant, things don't go your way. You should be throwing your, I came, I paid my money. You should be doing this. Something goes wrong. You should be known for your kindness, your generosity, your love, your patience. This is why it matters. This is why today's message matters. People get ready. I wish we had all been ready. This is your wake-up call. Stay alert. Stay awake. It can happen tomorrow. It can happen next week. It can happen 10 years from now, 100 years from now. I don't know, and Jesus don't know. But what we do know is the signs are there. And what we don't do know is, is that you and I have a job to do. And our job is to be a light in a dark world. It's to go where nobody else wants to go. It's to do what no one else will do. And when we do that, he is honored. And he will one day say, man, when you crack open heaven and we get there, whether we die or whether he comes back and takes us home before then, he says, man, well done. Man, you knocked it out of the park. You're not working for your boss. You're not working for some city. You're not working for some community. You're working for him. And when you work for him and you work and do all that you can to be the light in the darkness, he says, man, thank God you were on this planet. As a matter of fact, the only reason you're left on this planet is to do that. When it's your time, he's going to call you home and say, man, you, didn't, you weren't doing nothing. Some of you right now, well, I'm just going to retire. Be careful. That's why they die so quick when you retire. He's like, man, don't retire and just lay back and do nothing. Why don't you retire and go, how can I serve you? Go on this trip, do that, whatever you can do to make it happen. Why? Because it's way more than what we see on this earth, in this planet. He's preparing us for the next. You go, Justin, what do I got to do if I, I want to get prepared for that? This is it. You pray a prayer just like this. If you'll bow with me, I'll show you how easy it is. Lord, I come to you, man, I am messed up. And sometimes this stuff freaks me out, Lord. It kind of makes me scared. But then I see what you say. Don't be fearful, Lord. I need to trust you. Man, I've been trusting the wrong things. I've been trusting my retirement. I looked at my 401k, Lord, and it's driving me nuts. God, I got to put my trust in you. I can't put it in my job, man. My company lets me down. I can't put it in relationships, man. They let me down. God, I need a relationship with your son who never lets me down. And so, Jesus, I'm calling you. I admit I'm a sinner. I am broken, and I need you to come into my life and change me. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you shed the blood. I believe you did it for me, Jesus. And I believe you're coming back. And when you come back, I want to be doing what you called me to do. I want to be doing what you've equipped me to do. Help me, Lord. I'm scared. I'm nervous, but I want to trust you that you're going to meet my needs beyond what I just need, but it's going to help me to help others. It'll help me to teach my kids. It'll help me to tell my friends. And when they're looking for an example, God, let them see me. Help me to become more like you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.